0: Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. Those
1: beefy Hemsworth boys? Not the,
0: no, not the Hemsworths. How many times do I have to say it? For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car.
1: But that was then, Bobbo, and this is now. And yes, the show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey.
0: No, we're not.
1: And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me, for the first time, that's right. diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether you
0: like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God.
1: Uh, spoiler!
0: Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here.
1: I'm ah, fine. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel, and I did a little bit of Loki work in there.
0: Okay, you know we're running out of time.
1: Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say, accept it, you've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is supernatural then and now. Hi everybody, this is Rob Benedict.
0: Rich Spate right here. <laughs> That's right, he's Rich Spate. And I'm Rob Benedict, and this is Supernatural Then and Now. And we're talking about Season 2, Episode
1: 11. Play, Play things. Play things. Dude. Uh, look, before we get into it, I think yeah. we have some Patreon news to share. Robby? Yes.
0: You- Last week in Patreon, we posted bonus segments with Robin for all of our members. And for our Archangel members, we posted the video interview with Brianna. Now, if you haven't yet, be sure to sign up to hear bonus segments from today's interview Ad-free early access to the podcast and other goodies.
1: Early access ad-free episodes come out on Sunday.
0: Bonus segments from that episode come out Tuesday.
1: And select Thursdays, we publish bonus content from past episodes.
0: So check it all out on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash SBN Then and Now.
1: All right, Robbie, let's dive into the episode. All right. Sam and
0: Dean set off for Cornwall, Connecticut, to investigate a string of deaths at the Pierpont Inn. Pierpont, you know what that means in French? Uh Pierpoint. Rock Rockbridge. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Susan, a single mother, runs the hotel but sold it and is soon moving out. Why do you think she got divorced? Uh, I think he was
1: an alcoholic.
0: And really? he, he was yeah, and he was rarely home. He had a lot of ladies on the side.
1: Oh, she can do better than that. I'm yeah. glad she left him. Good for you, Me Susan.
0: Me too. She lives there with her young daughter, Tyler, and her invalid mother,
1: Rose. Or her invalid mother, Rose. <laughs> Yeah, she. <laughs> Nobody ever validated the mom.
0: Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's she needs to go in and get revalidated, and also apparently another daughter, but we don't know yet that it's not a daughter. Anyway, they also meet an elderly bellboy named Sherwin.
1: Wouldn't it be bellman? Nope. You never grow out of bellboy. You <laughs> I don't never know. like. When no. you turn thirteen? There's not a ceremony taking you from bellboy to bellman.
0: No, I don't think so. <laughs> Bell teen? <Weird>. Bell preteen?
1: <laughs> More like Bell screenager.
0: <laughs> Am I right? The boys get suspicious when they discover hoodoo symbols around the house and a giant dollhouse that is a scale recreation of the hotel.
1: Do they know hoodoo the hoodoo symbols? I know. <laughs> do you hoodoo? I don't know. There's a, the band from Australia, the Hoodoo Gurus. Maybe the Hoodoo Gurus hoodooed the hoodoo. Good point. I wonder if, they, if you made them out of feces, would it be doodoo hoodoo?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what if Howdy Doody was used as a hoodoo symbol? So it'd be Howdy Doody hoodoo.
1: <laughs> and what if with Howdy Doody it could actually defecate and made a hoodoo symbol? So be Howdy Doody doo doo voodoo. Wait, no. Howdy Doody doo doo hoodoo Do-do, hoodoo. <laughs> and and then somebody with, with, who doesn't have great grammar or wanted to know who did it. Who do Howdy Doody doo doo hoodoo? <laughs> <laughs> and if somebody used that, that hoodoo, doo doo, doo doo, voodoo, and somebody wanted to know who it was, they could say, hoodoo, howdy, doo doo, doo doo, hoodoo, voodoo.
0: <laughs> Nevertheless, there are creepy dolls all over the place. In the dollhouse, there's a doll that resembles the latest victim, and Tyler has an imaginary friend named Maggie. That's right, that Ooh. other daughter. Not a daughter at all, but an imaginary friend named Maggie. An appraiser comes by the inn and mysteriously hangs himself. At first, Sam and Dean suspect Rose is using hoodoo magic. Sam gets drunk because he feels guilty he wasn't able to save the appraiser. And the brothers discuss what dad told Dean in the hospital, that Dean should kill Sam if he were to turn evil. And Dean promises to make good on that order. Good. The brothers find a photo of Rose from her childhood, and she's sitting in the lap of her caregiver. A woman is wearing a hoodoo symbol. Sam and Dean head upstairs to visit Rose. Oh, However, do again.
1: I think it should be that woman is wearing a hood, like her caregiver, a woman who's wearing a hoodoo symbol. Like that should be one sentence, I think.
0: The brothers find a photo of Rose from her childhood, and she's sitting in the lap of her caregiver, a woman who is wearing a hoodoo symbol. Sam and Dean head upstairs to visit Rose. However, they come to find out she's completely catonic. Nope, she's completely catatonic. She's got a gin and tonic. And she's completely... <laughs> However, she is completely catatonic. She's she made herself.
1: <laughs> she and her cat
0: are knee-deep in gin and tonics. Uh, she couldn't be guilty of this because she's catatonic. Susan shows up. She's furious. She tells the boys they must leave the inn or she's calling the police. Right. They got to go. Well, those sneaky boys sneak around back. At, the, at this point, they remind me kind of of the uh, Hardy Boys. Yeah, you know they're what I mean? very
1: Hardy Boy-esque.
0: Yeah. In the process, they save Susan from a possessed car that tries to run her down. They figure out that Tyler's imaginary friend, Maggie, is actually the spirit of Rose's deceased sister who died as a child. Rose was using hoodoo magic to keep her out, but her stroke stopped her ability to do it. Now, Maggie's spirit wants to prevent the sale of the inn. Additionally, she wants to keep Tyler as a playmate forever, so she attempts to drown her in the pool.
1: Such a creepy sequence.
0: Yeah. Very creepy. Rose is able to call her away telepathically. She makes a deal that her spirit will stay with Maggie's at the end. Sam rescues Taylor from drowning and soon after discovers Rose's dead body. The boys leave and the episode ends with the spirits of the two girls playing jump rope. Creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy.
1: All right, let's review it, man. You start. I feel like I've started the last few. You go.
0: I really feel like the show is, uh, it's reaching a peak. Mid season two, I liked the episode a lot. I thought it was very creepy. I loved the Shining references. There are a few, a few things that I I gave me pause. Like, um, I don't, I, I felt like I felt like Jared uh, Sam getting drunk in the middle came out of nowhere for me a little bit. Yeah, me too. All of a sudden he was drunk, and I was like, what, what, what? And and then I thought maybe Jared was just drunk, but no, uh, Sam is really uh, drunk, and uh. Yeah, so that 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 threw me a little bit. Besides that, I thought uh, Charles Beeson did an amazing job directing. Such cool shots. Uh, yeah, I, what did you think?
1: I thought it was great. I agree with everything you're saying. I thought it was really, really, really creepy. Beautifully shot. The detail of the house and the the set was stunning. The model house they built for the dollhouse was stunning. Yeah, the the dolls were creepy. The little bitty figurines in the house were super creepy, mm-hmm. and the way it was shot and edited and all tied together was just so well done. And the acting, the kids were amazing. Uh, everybody was great. I thought it was really, really, really strong. I think the two things that were kind of, I mean, when I say bump for me, were tiny. I mean, it was a great yep. episode. But the Sam, the Sam kind of silly drunk Sam was seemed slightly out of character, a little bit to me too. A little like, bit out of character. That yeah, you're dumb. You know, I was like, no, I'm not and sure. And there was that- just
0: nothing leading up to it. It was like, it just kind of like he's looking out the window. He's a little bit depressed. Next time we see him, he's just wasted. And then it kind of pans over like, oh, yeah, there was also alcohol in the room.
1: Yeah, a, l- a little, bit, a little. I definitely agree with you. Although I think, even though we're, I agree with you, I think the point was even Jensen, like we're looking at it through Dean's eyes, right? And Dean right. didn't see it coming either. Right. Uh, totally. So, yeah. Th- so I understand what they're going for. And I think yeah. it actually worked. It just was a little like, Oh, hmm. The other yeah. thing to me, and this is no fault of the show, made when it was made, but definitely some jokes about why do they think we're gay that gay, are that do yeah. not stand the test of time. They do not. No, they um, do not. That that give it a little bit of a dated feel. Yeah. Um. So th- that was the only thing that sort of yep. like, oh wow, that's that's that's. Old. I had that
0: same thing written down. Um. Uh, but it was it was it was amazing. The the whole pool sequence was
1: amazing. It was so well shot and so yeah. well done and so creepy and so much actual peril on mm-hmm. behalf of the of the people in the hotel, the little girls, the little girl, yeah. and yeah. the mom. The yeah. sequence with the toys moving in the dollhouse and then the actual, you know, yeah. uh, playground things moving around in real yeah. life or I, yeah. not real life. Whatever. The tiny ones moving and the actual sized ones moving simultaneously yeah. was incredibly creepy and well done.
0: What do you think's going on with Sam and Dean right now? What, why- what, like, so Sam, so dad said to Dean, you're gonna have to kill Sam.
1: You might and, someday have to kill Sam. And, and Sam, when he was drunk just now, he's saying. If I go rogue, if I become the creepo that dad fears I may become, don't hesitate, take me out. Same so he's thing Sterling K. K. Brown was saying, right? Sterling K. Brown was like, hey man, I know what this dude is. We gotta take him out before he does something bad. And Sam's note to Dean was, hey, if I actually, maybe don't take me out before I do something bad. But if I start to turn, do not hesitate. Take me out because I don't want to become the thing that I'm hunting. I don't want to bring negativity and death and carnage.
0: So Sam's kind of come around on that because at first, wasn't he like screw dad for saying that or no? No, I think,
1: I think Jensen is, is, or Dean is annoyed that he's been saddled with this information and now has to figure out what to do with it. Uh And then he tells, unburdens himself to to Sam and I think Sam's bummed but also glad to know but also bummed because it's about him and it right. sort of drives a wedge between the brothers and that like I need you to be responsible for this moment if it right. were to happen and Dean's got to say yes if he says no then Sam feels like Dean's not holding up his end of the deal because Sam right. doesn't want to he's like look I won't know that I'm turning so you got to step in and take me out if I start to go sour. Right, Um, and so just now Dean
0: said uh, that he would do it, but uh, we all know that Dean would never.
1: Well, do we? And the other thing is, you know, what I thought was insightful was it it made me feel when Sam got upset, granted he was drunk, when he got upset about not being able to save the appraiser, you got the sense that he's trying to outrun his own fate by being the savior of others. Mm Mm-hmm. Like he knows he's going to do negative. So in advance of that, or he fears he's going to do negative. So mm-hmm. in advance of that, he's doing as much positive as he can do. Okay. And fe- and carries a weight with him that Dean doesn't carry when he fails at executing that attempt to save or at least intercede in situations. Okay. Save people or intercede in negative situations.
0: Okay. Wow. I'm glad I asked. Look at you. All of a sudden, the, the Sam and Dean therapist. Some somebody read the cliff notes. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, was, let's, uh, give our, let's give
1: it our give it our facial yeah, so hair I, review. So I
0: I I rank it a uh, a full beard, but like my beard. So it's it's got gray patches. You know what I mean. It it hasn't aged great in parts. Right. Bumps a little bit, but all in all, when you're just looking at the face, like oh, that's a that's a solid beer.
1: I think I'm going to step above you on that. I'm not going full Chris Stapleton, which is sort of the perfect, to me it's like, that's the perfect episode, the Stapleton. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going, if Stapleton had a trim. So it's just one step shy of being a perfect episode. And part of that is not even its its fault. It's sort of the dated elements of it. You know, yeah, I would think right. that sort of the, the antiquing uh, line of joking and that kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel my like my ours is about the same because I, you know, I said it's like well. Yours is because
1: I'm like well. People can't see your beard, but it's kind of short. And Stapleton's is huge. I feel like if you well, grew that out for, for I think it's like, important
0: to say at this point that your perfect beard and my perfect beard are two different things.
1: Ooh, you know what, Rob? You've opened a whole can of beard worms here. Bearded yeah. worms. <laughs> By the way, I went to see the bearded worms. They're so the whiskey. good. It's so They're good. so good. So, good. <laughs> so what? What is your perfect beard? Give, give me a give me a representative. Like I've got the Stapleton.
0: Mine is the uh, hold on. It's it's a dated reference. But it is the um, Kenny Loggins.
1: Okay. Kenny Loggins. The Kenny Loggins.
0: Uh, for, the, for the for most of the people that are listening to this podcast, Kenny Loggins was a singer songwriter, uh, made famous by. Uh, uh, well, he well he did the uh, the the um,
1: L- Loggins Messina.
0: Well, yeah, but he did the uh, what's the dancing movie with Kevin Beacon? Footloose. He's Footloose. That's Ke- that's Kenny Loggins. Footloose.
1: So what era Kenny Loggins? I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking at Kenny Loggins. He's got okay. a lot of different beards. So which era? Really?
0: I mean, that the one that's, that second down on the left side, the leather jacket on.
1: Yeah, so Kenny, if you guys at home want to go to the essential Kenny Loggins, it's on his Wikipedia site. It's also, I think it's just a Greatest Hits album we put out. It's a black and white shot of Kenny Loggins. Got, looks like he's got a fan on him. But he's got yeah. a nice thick beard.
0: Maybe we uh, can post that picture.
1: Yeah, so we'll go with Robbie's, Robbie's ideal perfect beard man, I guess, is Kenny Loggins.
0: 70s, late 70s beard.
1: Yeah, Robbie, okay. So Robbie likes the uh, Kenny Loggins beard, so that's your, right. so using that more... as our measuring stick, what is your, uh, is this just south of Ke- a Loggins for you? Like this episode? Just
0: south of a Loggins, yeah. Okay,
1: and I'm just south of the Stapleton, so you're yeah. right, we're, ki- we're kind of yeah. We're kind of in sync here. All right, yeah. good reviews. Yeah,
0: okay, uh, let's move on to our guest for this episode. It's another returning guest, Jerry Wanick served as the production designer and producer on the series for all 15 seasons. And let's get into our interview with Jerry.
1: We are so lucky to have Jerry Wanick yeah. back with us. I mean, there's a you know, legend, journeyman, but also the the guy in charge of the look and feel of Supernatural from day one. And what better episode to talk about when you're talking about a look and a feel? than this episode. I mean, holy smokes. Yeah. I'd like to right out of the gate talk to you about how you found that house because this episode is so house dependent, right? It's so set dependent. So talk to me about that process.
2: Well, you know, as is always the case when we start an episode, I get like a bunch of location files and go through and say, no, 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 no. Maybe. And we go look at the maybe. And uh, after, you know, several days that we came upon Selkirk, which was an old uh, nunnery and being a Catholic boy and altar boy that, that had some resonance for, I'm sure really bad sh- happened there. Yeah. And um, it just had the right look period. I mean, it's you know the old tutor and uh, it was the closest thing to that haunted house that we could find. I mean, I'm just astounded on how good that episode looked not from my point of view, but just the way Charles shot it, the way Serge, you know, Serge shot it.
0: So this was your first, epi- first episode with Charles, right?
2: Yeah, this was this first one with Charles. So like when I watch an episode, I usually have several things that I would want to take back and go, ah, oh, God, if we only did this. And the only shot that I didn't like in this was very close to the opening when we're establishing the house. We have a white delivery van go through. There's
1: no graphics on it.
2: And that just screams like, oh, so it's somebody from production. They took off the street and drove through the frame.
1: I didn't even recognize it. I, did you? Did you catch that, Rob? No, not at yeah. all.
2: Yeah, that's a part of my
1: whatever. Well, attention to detail is what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's attention to detail. Oh, yeah. I, you know, a couple of things worth mentioning as we get out of the gate here. A, it's just a great episode. It's uh, it's another one of those home runs from guest cast to execution. And you mentioned, and I don't want to gloss past it. Charles Beeson's first episode here for Supernatural. Charles Beeson would be on this episode talking to us, but for the fact that we lost him right at the beginning of COVID. I mean, he he, yeah. he had a heart attack, I believe, was what yes. I heard. Yes. Uh, over in the UK. And I had just seen the man in season 15 when he came out to do his episode, and he seemed fit as a fiddle. It's a tragic loss. You know, He he directed some monumentally impactful supernatural episodes starting with this one yes and and so let me ask you this and maybe this is out of your purview but do you know how charles came to be a part of the show do you know that backstory at all
2: i do not i mean that would have been eric and phil and bob because those guys you know really make all the directorial decisions right and uh but it's not unlike when you and i work together like if i pitch charles stuff like when we get into this, there's this bar scene. And I said, you know what? This is kind of creepy. Let's do The Shining the best we can. And so we did the underlit bar. We had the old guy and, you know, Jensen sitting at the bar. And Beeson just melted the hell out of it. But it was perfect. And, right. you know, stuff like that, that, you know, he would just get so excited. and But his film knowledge and his cinematic choices, because... Like when he follows the boys down the hall and the lenses on the floor, just following their footsteps as they go away, you know, that that's just it's just beautiful. And then when we start intercutting between the dollhouse and the real set. So cool. I mean, it's just, you know, the editing, but. You can't edit until you have the film,
1: right? Correct. Like, he shot it. I mean, like, editor, he made easy work for the editor. Not that it's ever an easy job, but he gave them the lumber they needed to build that amazing sequence. You know what I mean?
2: He did. did. And, um, you know, so happy because uh, Charles left the show after a while. And then when he came back for the, the last season just as a goodwill gesture and, you know, just because he just, and a lot of our crew was still intact. And he goes, I missed you guys, you know? And then when he came back, he goes, I am so glad you guys are still killing it. You guys are still like invested and, you know, going out there and doing your best work every day. He said, I, you know, he said, I thought I'd come back here and everybody'd be just kind of like hanging out and, you know, phoning it in. And I said, nah, no, nah. no. And, and we did, you know, a couple of great episodes there, you know, with robot yeah. set and, you know, maybe if, uh, you know, we'll get to that at, at some point, but, uh,
1: yeah. and, and we, and not to, and to, to sort of close the circle on Charles, although he's just a sorely missed, uh, valuable member of the team, but he didn't stray far from the family. Cause he went on to do revolution with Kripke. Like yes. he became the producing director. Yes. He stayed in the Kripke verse, you know? Yeah. And um, then he
2: went and then he did timeless. Yeah. So, right. you
1: know, Kripke's uh, loyal but, to those who uh, serve the show. Well, and that's cool to see. Yeah. No. And, you
2: know, like you said, Richard, you know, lovely man, And he was so happy because, you know, I worked with him probably, that was probably three, four months before he passed. And he was just in such a great place. He had just gotten a place in the south of France where he hung out and drank wine and, you know, never overindulged or over ate or anything. It must have just been genetics because, uh, you know, he said art attack. Yeah.
1: Well, the um, the the tone, uh, you know, going back to the gift he left us, some, one of the, some of these episodes and these visuals, it was, <laughs> dude. I mean, Robbie, I don't know. You and I haven't talked about this as always. Is there anything creepier than a room full of dolls? Like, I I challenge you to find. Yeah, something. Yeah, dolls are creepy. Oh,
2: God. I, I know, I know what's creepier. So that what? was that was season two, episode eleven. Right. As soon as we got done shooting that. George put every one of those dolls in the same position behind his desk.
1: Donald oh, my was- God. This is George <laughs> Newman we're talking about who yeah, uh, has worked subject. with Jerry forever.
2: You know, and George is a pretty macho dude, you know. But, oh you know, you, you go in there and they're all creepy as hell. And yeah. It took a lot to resource, you know, all those those dolls. But every time I go in there, I mean, I'd be talking to, my, to George and I'd just be shaking my head like, what
1: the hell? I'll tell you what, that's George's way of saying, don't, uh, don't pop into my office for a quick visit. You know, I don't want you here. <laughs> oh,
0: How long did they stay there? Till
2: the end. They were wow. for, you know, uh,
0: 13 years. That's funny.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, we, we have a note in, in our notes about the interview that says creepy dolls, creepy kids, creepy old ladies. We can add creepy George to that list. I uh, <laughs>
2: think creepy George could, uh, do a cameo. Yeah,
0: Jerry, who, whose job was it to make that, uh, model house?
2: Well, it was the you know art department. So we started out by doing exact drawings of the existing house. Of course, we changed the geography of the interior because the way the interior played was much different than what it was in the actual house. But we were very fortunate because we designed this thing. And one of the guys on our paint crew was an avid model builder. I mean, he just like he saw this and he just went into it head first and it was a passion and I'm still marveled at what he did. And again, you know, everybody contributed like, you know, with the little miniatures and and the the actual practical lighting. And that was another Charles Beeson, like to start on a little practical light in the dollhouse and then you know fade to the, the, the real light in the real space. But Again, the storytelling, you know, back and forth from that dollhouse, it just, I, I was mesmerized today. I, I, I just absolutely loved it.
1: I think we got to point out to people who are who are fans of the show, sometimes what, there's one piece that gets lost in translation, I think. And and I know because I, when Rob and I post these shows and then we see reviews and people also often comment, oh my gosh, I didn't know, blah, 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 blah. One of the things I think people need to understand is they found that house which took a day or two, and then they dove into building that model. That model was probably built in six days. Like, that's an unbelievable turnaround.
2: Yeah, no, it. it, it, it you're right. It would have to be in the. You know, six days is probably the max because um, uh, we were on an eight day shoot, and you know, by the time the drawings were made, but again, you know, Brian Wadsworth, uh, our model maker, just was obsessed. And wow. Yeah, no, it was it was very uh, fortuitous to to have that man seeing it again. Uh, I just I just uh, thought it was wonderful. Here's the irony of this. Um, you know, Cyrus, another one of our dearly departed but wonderful producers, said, "Okay, you know, we're done with the dollhouse. Let's donate it to a children's hospital. What better gift than a beautiful, you know, scale model? You know, this this dollhouse. That's amazing." And Warner Brothers won't let us. What? Oh, no. It won't let us because it was an asset because it cost it literally that that model cost $30,000 to
1: build. All right. Or you know? right, as Peter Roth likes to say, lunch. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, but, you know, well, actually, Peter Roth now he's on a beach somewhere going lunch. And yeah, he's, he's retired. Saying,
1: <laughs> and he's signing a $30,000 tab. Yeah. Really. yeah.
2: So, you know, we tried to explain that it's just going to sit on a shelf. And it did for eleven years. Finally, at the end of the show, we ended up giving it to the owner of that house because oh, that's pretty good. Well, you know, he, I'm, I'm very uh, grateful to people that have nice houses like that that are open to filming. Yeah, you know, since they weren't going to let us donate it to a hospital, I think we made up a, a sell, you know, a sale to him for like pennies, but you know,
0: wow. Okay, guys, hold on, we're coming right back. Thanks for listening, everybody. And now back to the episode. The bar you guys built is so great. Uh, the homage to The Shining. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm the non-director asking questions. So, uh, and me and not the rest of the listeners, but how, do you work with the lighting department in terms of like how to light it? Or do you kind of just design it and say like, hey guys, this is a Shining reference and I want the light coming up from the bar?
2: No, we, we built it and, you know, Serge and I were very close and still are, you know, we're great friends. And, uh, but we had, a, we always were in conversation about what I was trying to do and how to help him execute what he had to do. And right. again, Charles was so knowledgeable and the way he did the creepy push into the bar. Yeah. As Jensen walked in, you know, what else yeah. struck me was I, I know Kripke was one of the writers on this episode. Uh-huh. It has such wonderful moments of humor You know, and that's what Kripke, every episode brought to it. You know, he just has this, you know, wise sense of humor that,
0: you
2: know, the banter between the boys, that freaking scene at the door with Jensen telling the lady that Baird wants to play with her dolls. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, you know. That's great.
1: Course, you know, you you mentioned that, and I, I noticed as well, there's obviously sort of the template of humor that exists throughout a lot of the episodes. Yeah. But then this one had a beat that struck me as especially funny. And and it I don't know if it would strike everybody as especially funny. But it's when they come back and they have the mom and, the, and she's almost got hit by the car, right? And and Jensen's Jared and Jensen yeah. are trying to explain it to her. And Jens and Jared says something and she's like, What? And Jensen goes, blah 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 blah. It's a lot to unpack. The point is, but you know, like he 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 gets out of the explanation mid uh-huh. mid explanation, and it's just you know it's a simple moment that Jensen can make funny. You know, it's it's written to be funny, but Jensen can sort of thread that needle very very well, right. and it's just a humorous moment where in a show that took itself too seriously, they would be really serious about the explanation and make sure that it got through. And they just start, sort of turned it into a, a lighter moment that I thought was really fun in the middle yeah. of a heavy sequence. Cause yeah. it's a heavy ass sequence, man, between yeah. dolls and kids in peril. Like, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a lot of-
0: That's vintage Kripke, you know, to insert yeah. the humor into that situation. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the characters that Rich and I both played on the show at the beginning, at least, were that, you know, a little bit of comic relief.
2: Oh, I thought you guys, I thought your characters always had a great, you know,
0: yeah, some
2: comedy. And and, yeah, uh, yeah, you guys, you guys delivered it great too.
1: I know, listen, I got to say, we're talking about Kripke doing a pass on this, but the the episode is credited to Matt Witten, Witten. So yeah. I just want to be sure we don't, we give, you know, Matt credit for his voice on this thing. Obviously, he yes. has a, a tonal influence, but Matt Witten, who wrote this episode, did a lights out job of, yeah, he of, did. Absolutely. of doing what he was supposed to do.
2: Yeah, no. And it was, it was some great misdirects in there. And, you know, I mean, again, the mastery of the way Charles shot it, because, you know, the imaginary friend wasn't obvious until.
0: No,
1: I didn't Matt see was it coming.
0: So well yeah. done. Uh, yeah. I was like, what?
1: Yeah. When she said, I got one daughter, I'm like, no, you got two daughters.
0: Yeah. And
2: and we'll get to, you know, a little Lou stuff later. But, man, the stunts, that underwater sequence was so suspenseful. And, you know, it's like you you thought for sure that the little girl was going to die. Yeah. Uh, You know, just the coverage under in the pool. And, man, it was just
1: incredible. I've seen that shot before, Rob, uh, isolated, like maybe in a greatest hits real or some sort of like, you know, What of the thing. girl underwater, the jump and landing in the plastic. Like they've used that as like uh, uh, in, in montage sequences about supernatural. It's as creepy as you get in terms of like paranoid fear. People have paranoid fears about yeah. you know, airplanes, stuff, but yeah. being re- entrapped in plastic in the plastic water like that in water. Mean, like, yeah the Surface is right here, but you can't get to it. Like unbelievable.
2: Yeah. yeah I remember yeah. when we, we first, because there's two different mansions we shot. That pool was in a different place as well as their bedroom. And that, And then we built the little bathroom for Sam to get, you know, his hangover uh, sickness. Uh, but those were two different locations. And the place that we did the bedroom and the bathroom uh, had that pool in the back. And, man, I, I've wanted to shoot that pool forever because I've known about it. And there was never a reason to. And, you know, Charles saw it and he went, oh, here we go. Uh, just embraced it because it's all glass and there's a lot of people that just go, Oh, I can't do it. So, you know, there's going to be too much light, too much this, too much that get over it. You know, it's the right place. It looks great. It's great for the story. Now make it work. And they made it work. Uh And
1: and yes, we are going to talk specifically about your experience with Lou, but let's talk about Lou's involvement in this show, for example, because Lou, you have two young children in in a perilous spot, because obviously there's protections in place, but look, they're on the other side of a railing. And yep. they are hanging up there, they obviously didn't do the jump themselves, but they are in a that's a tricky that's a tricky sequence to maneuver from a safety standpoint
2: absolutely I don't think I think what we did is we extended uh a little bit of a deck beyond like underneath that railing, so they had more place to stand on, but they were on the other side, and you know since that was harvey fedora's daughter that, what like, oh yeah oh yeah the the lead little girl. Was Harvey Fedora's daughter? What? Yeah, dude. So I'm sure she was. So well Harvey taken.
1: was a gaffer. Is that the right title for it? For, uh, uh, no, he's a uh, grip. Key grip. Yeah, uh, key grip on the show for f- 13 seasons or whatever, and that's yeah. insane. I had no idea. So his daughter went on. Is his daughter still an actress for a living? Is that you know her? what?
2: I was gonna look that up. Um, I you know today, and I I didn't get around to it, but uh, we, we
1: can do he, that. We got a guy. There you go.
2: But she did go on to do stuff. I don't. I don't know if she's still doing it. Wow. But man, she she held that. You know that was her
1: episode. She was great. She was great in that episode. Yeah. So was both of those girls. Yeah, both, and, the girls. both the girls. Both the girls were great, and the mom and the bartender. I mean, like, oh, oh and yeah. the, and well, the creepy yeah. old
0: the creepy old mom.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, with well, no lines, was, she was outstanding.
0: Outstanding. Oh, yeah. yeah. You totally. You're not going it. to
1: say it, it's just uh, Jerry. This show. I don't know what the recipe was, but, and now it's going to sound like I'm self-aggrandizing Rob and myself because we benefited from this, but the guest casting on the show was stunning. You rarely had a guest cast that wasn't up to snuff and unable to match the boys. The guest cast came in almost always super strong and just knocked the leather off the ball, which is what enabled those episodes to thrive. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
2: I mean, that's, the icing on the cake is always that layer. And without that layer, you know, the cake falls apart and uh, nobody cares about the rest of it. It's it's like, I've told this story a number of times. We built this huge mission in the Hills in Texas for uh, one of McMurtry's uh, miniseries, And I was like, you know, best thing I'd ever built. McMurtry would sit in the courtyard and, and go, Jerry, this is your masterpiece. And then they had very uncompelling scenes and, not really actors to sell it. And nobody cared, you know, nobody cared. Right. So every everything has to work. And that's yeah. why you get a director that, like Beeson and, and Richard, you're very adept at it, is uh, involving the guest stars and making them feel part of it and getting the best performance, because in the end, that's, that's what counts.
0: Yeah. Well, it's both. I mean, it goes both ways, you know, and you can have yeah. a great actor with a Crappy set too. And then it looks it just looks cheap.
1: Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. suddenly you're knocked down a peg. Everybody's gotta be doing their best work, and then you have a great episode of TV. That's
0: what I'm continually impressed by this show. You know, it's it's the CW, it's not the the network with the most money, you know. It's NBC, ABC, they put out a lot of money to make shows, CBS. Yeah. But on the CW to to pull off what you guys pulled off, especially in the early seasons, it's really remarkable.
2: Yeah, and Rob, that's a that's a really good point. And you got to credit Bob Singer, Eric Kripke, Phil. They really went to bat. I think Bob was the lead on it that you're not taking money out, even though like after five years is when they usually just rob the bank
0: and and kind of go to pattern and you know
2: yeah try to milk it for whatever it could be. And Bob Singer goes, nope, not doing that. And we just kept on upping the ante. And
0: that's great.
1: Uh, the of things that people do notice, the deer head. So there's a, there's a recurring theme in our notes here that there's a deer head that isn't in one of the motel rooms and is reinvents itself in 12 different episodes. Do, we, do you know what I'm talking about, Jerry?
2: Yeah, I did. We finally had to put it to rest. But, you know, it was just one of those things. It was kind of fun. And, you know, we use taxidermy quite a bit because it's just creepy enough. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, no. And, and I think it's like the, the fur was falling off and it lost an ear. And, you know, we just kept going.
1: You know, That's but, awesome.
2: you know, George has a pretty uh, wicked sense of humor. And, you know, I would come to stage a lot of times and just chuckle, you know, just like, all right, let's do
1: that. <laughs> would that be something that the directors would be aware of? Or was that kind of your guys own inside baseball joke there?
2: No, I mean, the only director that knew would be Phil. Because he'd go, guys, I saw that here and, uh, you know, because he's editing. Yeah. Right. He everything. So, <laughs> everything.
0: Yeah. He doesn't miss a thing.
2: Nothing is so by like, Phil. They'll like to call us out on anything, you know, and and that's why we love them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: I noticed also this is like, as we got going in this uh, whole adventure, we started upping the look of our motels and the wallpaper and the screen, you know, that we had in that opening motel scene and the murder wall that we had up was, you know, became a signature of, of many episodes to come. You know, everyone was different, but, you know, we kind of like played with that whole thing of the, if there was a geometric in the uh, wallpaper, we'd turn that into a screen and da-da-da-da-da, but uh, that, was, that was always fun.
0: Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so many hotel rooms on in the show. That, that's such a big I, challenge, making each one different.
2: It's only 173. <laughs> oh, that's it?
1: Oh. They say you don't really... You don't yeah. really start getting lost in them until you hit 174. That's literally yeah, the breaking yeah, point. Yeah,
2: yeah. I was ready to do the first, uh, that 174.
1: <laughs> uh, Jerry, it's always so awesome to have you on here, man. You're just a wealth of knowledge and uh, it and so entertaining. And uh, yeah. this is a great episode to have you on for because it's just so cinematically Beautiful. gorgeous and creepy yeah. and hits all these great notes. And it's just, you know, it's not television, man. It's elevated beyond that. It's true. You do such great work, you and your team.
2: Uh oh, thank you. Oh,
1: it was a pleasure to hang out with you guys, and I'm sure we'll do this again. For sure. Absolutely. Hey there, this is Jensen. I hope you're enjoying the episode, uh, but we need to pull over for a second for some messages, and I got to take a leak. Thanks for supporting Supernatural, then and now. And now, back to the show. Dude, is there anybody nicer than Jerry? I mean, so nice. not just talented, but just such a great storyteller and remembers everything and just a lovely guest.
0: And speaking of pictures we need to post, that picture he just sent us, yeah. Jerry was a stud. He 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 was a male model turns out. Uh and he showed us this picture of his when he used to be a male model and he was a stud.
1: He's got a he's got a uh he sent us an ad of himself of what is he what is he advertising?
0: I don't know, but talk about Kenny Loggins. Move over, Kenny Loggins.
1: Well, Kenny Loggins' mustache would take a knee if Jerry's mustache walked in the room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good Lord.
0: Yeah. Anyway, great guy and uh, such a huge, huge part of this show. I mean, such a, you know, between him and Serge, the look of this show. Okay, let's get on to the mythology.
1: Mythology. Mythology.
0: Mythology. Who do? Who do mythology?
1: We do mythology.
0: Okay, hoodoo and voodoo are often confused. Both are practiced and have roots in the Caribbean and Africa with pagan and even elements of European religions.
1: You know, voodoo typically invokes African deities, while hoodoo invokes magic from Catholic saints. Hoodoo practitioners are often Roman Catholic, and it is considered more purely a form of folk magic. That's right. While voodoo is
0: recognized as its own
1: religion and has a
0: formal organization, has its own magic, culture, traditions, music, and philosophy. Who do dolls? We do dolls. That's right. In practice, effigy dolls are more commonly used to heal rather than harm.
1: Western culture is more familiar. Western culture is most familiar with the voodoo doll that you stick pins in to cause pain in someone. Like, for example, I have this voodoo doll of Robbie, and I'm going to stick a pin in it right now. Ow! See? That's how it works. Um, However, effigy dolls exist in many cultures around the world, including Middle Eastern and Asian cultures. That's right.
0: I had another fun fact about this episode. Oh, I know what it was gonna be. Oh, this going say. I know you're fact.
1: gonna. I know you're gonna say. I'm not gonna say it. You say it. I don't know if it is the same thing. What, what were you gonna say? Oh, it's our mine's written down here. But yeah, so never mind. Mine's mine's already noted. Oh, I was gonna
0: say I love miniatures, and and you, have you ever been to the Museum of Miniatures on Wilshire Boulevard?
1: I have not. It's too small for me to get in. Hey, we'll be here all week, guys. <laughs>
0: All right, speaking (laughs) of, it's time for fun facts. Fun facts.
1: Fun facts.
0: Dean calls Sam a Sasquatch when he's trying to get him to sleep off the booze. Sasquatch is a real nickname Jensen uses for Jared.
1: I'm laughing already. I know those guys super well. I've never heard them use that nickname. (laughs) Ever, never, never, ever, ever. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Busting up that myth right now.
0: Uh, and here we go. This is the last time we see Sam wearing a plaster cast on his wrist.
1: And I noticed the cast this time. For sure.
0: When Dean recommends a greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray, this is a reference to the John Hughes film Weird Science. That's okay. what I
1: was saying. Th- that's what left out uh, to me. It's a line from Bill uh, Paxton. Paxton. who says that to uh, Wyatt, played by... Anthony Michael Hall I've forgotten that I I can't remember Maybe the other other, The other kid, yeah But anyway It's a classic line That uh, Bill Paxton delivers As Chet The older brother In Weird Science There
0: you go Um, Well, thanks everybody What a great episode And what a fun uh, Fun interview With Jerry
1: Oh, it was so great And we all learned A lot about Hoodoo Voodoo And Rob's love Of miniatures Exactly And I know That
0: now the answer To Hoodoo You do This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester and Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester.
1: Guest stars included Annie Wershing, Matreya Fedor, Conchita Campbell, Talia Williams, John R. Taylor, Rob Bruner, and Brenda McDonald.
0: Big guest cast. Playthings was written by Matt Witten, directed by Charles Beeson.
1: Edited by Anthony Pinker. Music by Jay Greska. Supernatural is executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The episode featured the song Voodoo Spell, that's appropriate, by Michael Burks. And the episode originally aired on January 18th, 2007. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Haida Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty.
0: What's up, buddy?
1: Music provided by Tim Wynn. This episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. Podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on
0: Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now.
1: And become a member of the show to get bonus stuff at patreon.com slash spn then and now. <laughs>
0: Hoodoo mythology. Hoodoo and voodoo are often confused.
1: Wait, Both. say that again. What's the title?
0: Hoodoo and voodoo?
1: No, no. You, what's it called? Hoodoo what? Hoodoo mythology. We do mythology.
0: <laughs> I hope everyone appreciated how much went into him recreating that moment. No, no. Say it again. Say it again. Hoodoo what? Hoodoo voodoo economics? Something O-O? V-O-O? D-O-O? Voodoo. You know what that's from? Saturday Night Live? No, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ah. Anybody? Anybody? Something economics? Anybody? Yeah. And now
1: a commercial for Warner Brothers' latest <laughs> anime yeah. feature. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Richard, did you, get, did you get the porn stash?
1: Let's see, hold on.
0: <laughs> this episode of oh, Super...
1: <laughs> there are so many do jokes that we are leaving on the table. Because if, 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 we
0: don't uh, have time.
1: Uh, we don't have time. I just want everybody to know that we could really... We could really go to town on this. Um, you're welcome that we're not. You're welcome, everybody. And by the way, there's plenty of do humor in here, and Steve's yeah. putting it all in the edit, or I walk. Maybe here we'll we do
0: 45 minutes of our hoodoo bit on the, on the uh, for Patreon. <laughs> exactly.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you got... heard it here first. Rob Benedict just hit on Jerry Wanek <laughs> on the Supernatural bar. You're not
0: leaving this bar without... <laughs> okay.
1: when I did, it, <laughs> Scribbled on your arm. Storymill Media.